Hello, and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note ask any question, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. Hello, welcome to week 41. We are in Luke 6 through 8, John 5, Matthew 5 through chapters 8, verses 1 and 13, and verses 12 through 13, and chapters 12 through 13, and Mark 3. Our timeline is 28 AD. So, starting in John 5, Matthew 12, one, verses 1 through 21, Mark 3, and Luke 6, 1 through 16. We meet the disabled man who was an invalid for 38 years and was at the pool of Bethesda. And when the pool would stir, the people of the time believed that it was an angel touching it. And if they were the first to get in, then they would be healed. Sadly, since this man was an invalid, moving was extremely hard. And therefore, in all his time there, day after day, he wasn't able to get in. And as you know, even in our day-to-day time, we can let things go in the background when they are always there, which is sadly what this man became to everyone going through this area. Until Jesus. He stops in front of him and asks him if he wants to get well. And of course, not having any concept of who Jesus was is like, I have no one to help me and I can't ever make it into the pool. Jesus simply said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man did. So a miracle, right? But who doesn't see it that way? (laughs) mainly because they don't want to oh that's right the pharisees so they ask this man who was healed who healed him and he doesn't know he wasn't looking at the guy but when jesus comes back later and asks how the man is that is when he tells the pharisees that it is this guy it's jesus meanwhile to help their cause they had caught quote unquote jesus and his disciples eating grain on the sabbath and As Jesus comes back with, if they understood what I desire mercy, not sacrifice meant, you would not have to condemn the innocent. And then when they caught Jesus at the synagogue, they asked him if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath, as if they were somehow going to have a good gotcha with Jesus. But Jesus answers them with, if you had a sheep fall into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you rescue them? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath and continues to heal the man with the weathered hand. So they start coming at him, but Jesus is like, my father is always at work, therefore so am I. Well, that just made him really mad. (laughs) And much like in John 3, we see where Jesus explains it once again, that he came from the father and only does what the father tells him. And if you believe he is the son, then you will have life from death. And if you don't, you will have a worse fate. And Jesus goes further and explains about how if he testifies about himself and that's it, then it doesn't mean anything. But there is one who testify about him, and that is John the Baptist. Furthermore, everything said in Scripture attests to Jesus, and that Moses, whom they set everything on, even testifies to who Jesus is and will judge them for not believing. Oh, and that really infuriated the Pharisees. So now they really start plotting Jesus' death. And by doing so, fulfilled another prophecy from Isaiah. On top of it, those foolish Pharisees also accused Jesus of being from Satan. Of course, that was so preposterous that Jesus was like, if I was Satan, why would I drive demons out? To where we get the famous phrase, a house divided cannot stand. During this, Jesus' mom, brothers and sisters were wanting to see him, but he made a point of saying that those who do God's will are my brothers and sisters, showing you do not inherit salvation. In Luke chapter 6, 
verses 17 through 46 and Matthew 5 through 7, we begin the infamous Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is teaching to a multitude of people. You might have heard this as the Beatitudes or the Blessed Are and Woe To Sermon. They are one and the same. These are pretty explanatory, but I marvel in how much they have been used in our society and make up so much of who we are as people. No other man has ever done that before. Thousands of years and so much of what he spoke, we still cling to no matter if we believe in the Messiah or not. Uh, this is where we see to love our enemies. And the one everyone uses and often out of context is do not judge lest ye be judged. However, as this is to explain what you read and not a sermon, I'll refrain from getting on my soapbox on that one. Uh, we see uh, how we are supposed to act by being salt of the earth, not salty people. We see where Jesus is a fulfillment of the law because you and I could never be. Going through the Ten Commandments and because Jesus knows we will receive the Holy Spirit, it goes beyond just our actions and enters our hearts uh, on this as well. We are taught how to treat people with dignity and love because God loves them. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Many of us can recite, Dear Heavenly Father, give us today this daily bread, etc. Uh, Kelly, side note, not a sermon, but just a notation. You do not have to pray this prayer every time. It is a template for you to use so you know not only what you should be praying for, but how you acknowledge yourself and God in those prayers. Jesus explains that our treasures should be stored in heaven, which means we should work for him and not for the world. Even our best treasures on earth will not endure, but anything we do for God will be eternal. Jesus also explains money, that you cannot serve God and money. Again, not here to have a sermon, but just a notation that this does not mean you shouldn't have money or can't be rich. What it means is you understand where the money comes from and you are working for the Lord. If he blesses you here on earth with money, that's not a bad thing. But use it as he directs and don't let it be what directs your path. And of course, the one I get hung up on more than I like is the not worrying. I struggle with this, especially when I'm in a depressive episode and my anxiety is through the charts. However, I do pray and I use Psalms 34.4 to help me. And uh, Psalms 34.4 is, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. <clears throat> so if you too struggle, you are not alone and there is help. Then we get to read about the narrow and wide gates. Jesus was not kidding when he says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Another Kelly side note, take this to mean if through history there have been 20 billion people in the history of the world and only 30% believe that is still 6 billion people. And that segues nicely into true and false prophets. And boy, there have been so many false prophets over time and many today, although that may be because they all upload themselves to social media and it creates more. Either way, please be aware. And the best way to do that, if you read and know your Bible, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, you know the truth so you can spot the lie immediately. And then into Matthew chapters. 8 verses 1 through 13, Luke 7 and Matthew 11. So after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down and a man with leprosy kneels before him and asks if the Lord is willing, can you make me clean? Jesus says, I'm willing and says, be clean. Tells him to tell no one and to go to the priests, show he is clean so he can enter society again and give the gift of Moses commanded. Then when Jesus was in Capernaum, a Roman centurion, uh, which would have been unheard of that this kind of man would even approach Jesus. He, but he was desperate, went to Jesus and begged for Jesus to heal his servant. 
Uh, Jesus asks if he should come there, but the centurion understood that all Jesus had to say was the word and it would be done, which for a non-Jewish man to get that without the years of training, reading the scripture was unbelievable. So much so that Jesus is impressed and tells those following him that he hasn't seen that much faith in Israel and explains that even those who think they belong to the kingdom, if they do not have faith in Jesus, will be thrown out and there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Kelly, side note, you will see this phrase more. And what it is referring to is in the end when those who believe in Jesus will be in heaven with him and those who don't will be in hell. So after this, Jesus goes to a town called Nain. And as they approach the gate, a dead person is being brought out. He turned out to be the only son of his mother, who was also a widow, meaning she would have no protection or funds for her going forward. Jesus's heart went out to her and he told her not to cry. And Jesus went over to the body and told him to get up. And the dead man sat up and started talking. Uh, anyone else think they would be weirded out by this? I mean, I think I would be sold at this point that Jesus is Jesus, but I would also be really weirded out. So John the Baptist's disciples end up seeing all of this and report back to John, who has them go and ask Jesus a question. Does this mean you are really the one we've been waiting for? Now, before you give John the Baptist side eye on this, he had many reasons for asking, mainly for his own disciples and those who were still following him and not Jesus. And Jesus answers the questions and sends them with much to think about, not only himself, but the role that John is fulfilling. Jesus then meets with a woman who uses an entire jar of perfume on his feet and cries and cleans his feet with her hair. Obviously, we know this woman was in distress and gave Jesus a huge gift. But to give even more context, that perfume would have been her dowry. And of course, cleaning his feet back then was a huge deal. And if you didn't clean your guest's feet, it was considered an insult. So here's this woman giving Jesus all of herself and her dowry because she understands who and what Jesus is. Of course, there are critics. There always are. But Jesus sets them back and is able to show their hypocrisy out in the open. Of course, this does not please them, but sometimes the truth will do that. And while Jesus is rebuking towns and people, he reveals the father-son relationship between him and God and gives us one of the great promises of our life in him. And that is in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, which says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Matthew 12, 22 through 50 and on to chapter 13, as they are sailing to Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee, he is met with a demon-possessed man. We're told this man wore no clothes, didn't live in society, but in tombs, which were big rock cutouts in the side of the mountains, uh, that dead bodies would be laid in. So, yeah. And as soon as this man saw Jesus, he freaks, or rather the demon impure spirit freaks. The man cries out, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus, unfazed, asks, what is your name? To which it replies, legion, for we are many. Ew. And so they beg Jesus not to order them to go to the abyss. Two things real quick. One, demons know and understand Jesus's authority. And two, even demons don't want to be cast out into hell and the abyss. So Jesus sends them into pigs, which go hurling down the cliff into the sea and die. And the man, while well, he sits at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. This scared the townspeople and they asked Jesus to leave. And as Jesus goes to do just that, the formerly demon-possessed man wanted to go with Jesus, also understandably, but Jesus has him go and tell everyone what God has done for him, to which he does. 
As Jesus returns across the lake, the crowds are waiting for him, especially a man whose 12-year-old daughter was dying. Jesus starts to follow the man, and so does everyone else. But even as Jesus is being bumped into and jostled as he walks, he feels a woman touch the edge of his cloak, and her bleeding stops. Jesus asks, who is touching him? And of course, everyone, including the disciples, are like, how could we possibly know? But Jesus is like, "Uh uh-uh, this was different. Who touched me? This woman terrified, comes forward and falls at his feet and explains why. And I believe he probably gave her a smile and told her that her faith had healed her. And as this happened, a servant of the man whose daughter was dying informed him that his daughter was dead and there was no point in Jesus coming. Jesus says to the man, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. And when they get there, people are wailing and Jesus was like, stop. The girl is not dead, but asleep, which made some people chuckle at how stupid that sounded since clearly she was dead. But Jesus took the girl's hand and told her to get up, and she did. Meanwhile, our good old potsters, the Pharisees, come to see Jesus and start demanding a sign. Never mind the hundreds of miracles he had already performed. So Jesus compares it to the sign of Jonah, which, P.S., boys ain't good. Because as you and I know, A, Nineveh took that sign and repented. B, the Pharisees don't need a sign. They have plenty. They just want to entrap and kill Jesus. And C, showing they are more rebellious than Nineveh. And finally, D, you can give people proof all day. But if they don't want to believe it, it doesn't matter what you show. They will never believe. The parable of the sower comes up. One of those parables that we not only fall into as being the ground, but as being the sower. As the ground, we fall into those four categories. But when you go out and tell the word of God and try to bring others to Christ, you are doing what the sower does. The important part, you are only responsible for your response and God will do the rest on both you as an individual and others. Just You just have to be obedient. And then we read many more parables from Jesus as they are explained and are more like the parable of the sower. So this is where we end today. If you have any reactions, thoughts, questions, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com. Have a most fabulous week, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.